Welcome everyone back to another episode of the Team Blaney Podcast. My name is Adam Rogers and alongside me is co-host Steve Mez. The Team Blaney Podcast is brought to you by fans for fans. Steve and I have been diehard followers of the Blaney Racing family for about two decades. Today we closely follow third generation driver Ryan Blaney who pilots the number 12 Ford Mustang for Team Penske on the NASCAR Cup Series circuit. Each week on the podcast, we will review Ryan's latest NASCAR race and then preview the race for the upcoming weekend, offering news, notes, statistics, and analysis. Steve, we are back, fresh off of the Go Bowling at the Glen road course race, the first of two road course races in a row for the NASCAR Cup Series. And honestly, I didn't really talk that much about it in our preview episode, but Watkins Glen is one of my favorite road courses on the circuit even though we have all these brand new ones it's just so it's fast it's it's like a big speedway of road courses there's not that many turns what seven turns or so um one of my favorite ones to play just in the nascar games growing up as well i think that's also just because it was easier (laughs) to compare to like a sonoma or some of these other ones that have come along so really always excited to watch the race this weekend was just more excited for the fact that racing was back after a a uh, couple week layoff there as NBC uh, celebrated the Olympics. So um, overall, I thought the race was pretty good, pretty exciting, decent, uh, decent amount of uh, uh, leaders up there kind of battling, especially after some of the restarts and overall decent race. Glad NASCAR's back. And now we got another 13 straight weeks of racing. Yeah, I'm ready for next week. Uh, that was um, a little bit tough for, for Ryan, but um, the action was pretty good itself. Uh you know, Kyle Larson did his, uh, his thing. And, and right now he's just the hottest thing driving and, uh, doesn't matter what he's driving right now. So, it, you know, somebody's going to really have to do something in the playoffs to knock him, uh, down a peg. Yeah. Leading into this race, Larson went and won a huge late model race. He goes and wins at Watkins Glen, then immediately follows up and goes and wins the, what's called like the front row challenge or something out there at Knoxville as he, uh, prepares to run in the Knoxville Nationals on Thursday. So, and I would not be surprised if he uh, runs pretty well there at Knoxville in his sprint car. So Kyle Larson uh, doing what he does best, and that's putting that car in victory lane. But hey, enough about Kyle. Why don't we go ahead and talk about Ryan Blaney's race at Watkins Glen International, the Go Bowling at the Glen. Ryan Blaney, race recap. Watkins Glen International. All right, uh, 90 laps total. We had uh, the uh, stage breaks at 20, 40, and then once again at 90. And there was going to be a competition caution at lap 10. Uh, Of course, to the rear, uh, the 20 car and the 9 car to the rear. Um, Shocker, 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 shocker. Breaking news, 9 car to the rear. Never happens. Pushing the envelope over there at Hendrick Motorsports, but uh, and I don't want to like harp on it, but it was like a window, you know, one of those window areas in the back that like you already have one of the best road course racers on the ske- or in the circuit, and just you don't even need to do that. But anyway, it was detrimental for him. So yeah, and once they push the envelope with one of the other guys that uh, you know isn't uh, starting in the top five and winning, you know, but. Uh, the fuel window was uh, 35 to 37 laps and uh, bring that up because this is what the whole race is going to be about. They've figured it out 90 laps, how many of the caution laps they're going to have at the stage breaks and they know what their fuel window is and they're going to race this race backwards. As they say, they're going to try to reach a fuel window, get in it pit and uh, try to maintain track position that way. And uh, you'll see different cars on those different strategies as the race goes on. Um, Ryan, of course, starting as a, uh, up in P3 there, and um, 
you know, they're going to be pitting on the, the other side of the car too. So kind of be, be careful of that. Uh, that'd be a little bit different. And of course, uh, Brad was on the pole. Uh, he had three spotters for this one, you know, uh, Josh, uh, mule, of course, and then Randy Bergman's the third guy. Um, some of these tracks, those road courses, it's a lot harder for the, uh, usually Josh will take the lead position, do all the restarts, get them onto pit road and so forth. But it's sometimes the sight lines are no good and they have to put other guys out there and, uh, you know, Mule and Rand- Randy both did a great job with this race. Uh, you know, it's uh, it's different voices to hear, but they do the same types of things that Josh does. They keep it nice and calm, and they try to help uh, keep uh, Ryan from getting anybody uh, up on him or hitting him or anything like that. Uh, so uh, right away, Todd tells them we're not pitting at the competition caution. So, you know, right away, we, we already understand the strategy. We're going past lap 10 for sure. Um Lap one, uh, the five, the 11 uh, dive inside, and Ryan ends up in fifth in that first turn because of the way those guys dove bomb in there. Um, On lap two, the 19 passes, uh, so Ryan is sixth at this point. But uh, by lap six, it's pretty quiet on the radio. There's a two-second gap to the car in front of them, the 19, and three seconds to the car in the back, the eight. Now, I bring that up because um, once they kind of get settled out um, and they're just running green flag laps, nobody really, really gains on anybody unless they've got a huge advantage or once they start doing some pit stops, make some huge adjustments. And, uh, they're trying to maintain these positions, like I said, based on the pit strategies and seeing how their pit strategy works versus somebody else's. So they're, uh, at lap 10, uh, the two car spins and, uh, <laughs> this is not a good day for the two car, uh, as it starts, uh, he spins without really any help. Uh, great view from the uh, the 22's camera, I think, on this because he's right behind him. Um, Ryan, of course, passes and gets up to uh, fifth place on that. And uh, we get to the competition caution there. And, of course, they're staying out. Now, except for the two car because of their spin, most of the cars in the top 20 actually stay out. So most of them are on this same strategy. Now, on the restarts, the odd number cars are actually going to be on the right-hand side going into turn one, that's the inside lane going into turn one. Most of the turns on this track, you know, they were, there are some lefts, but most of it is a right-handed turn thing to get back to the start finish line. So the right-hand lane is the odd number, uh, lap 13, uh, the eight passes him. So he's sixth place and the 22 is leading at this point. Um, uh, once they're strung out, uh, it's going to be really uh, good to, to catch and pass cars. Cause once again, another thing that Ryan likes to do with these types of races, as long as there are green flag runs that are long enough, he's good on the equipment. He doesn't beat on it. He doesn't run the tires down too fast. And you'll see, he'll start catching a couple tents, a couple tents, maybe a half a second, a lap, and he'll start catching guys after, you know, 10, 15 laps, as long as it stays green. Um, they pit at lap 17. So once again, here's their strategy. They're going to pit before the stage break. Uh, and a lot of cars uh, behind him pit on the same strategy. Uh, the four passes on pit road and the 14 uh, was fuel only and passes him. So he loses a position or two there. Um, but uh, at the end of the stage, he's actually 27th. And of course, they say full save on fuel during the stage break there. But once again, they're on a pit strategy different than other people. So Winning the stage is not important at this point. It's more about what happens going into that last uh, 20 laps or so. He is in fourth place with all the guys on his strategy. From what I figured out, uh, the 19 and the 14, of course, the four and the 12 were all pitted with him. He's fourth amongst those guys. The 47 is staying out and the uh, 22 wins the stage. So uh, it should be P5 um, 
once the stage uh, restarts and everybody pits. Um, but lap 23, the 47 gets gets in the way on the restart, basically. They go down into turn one. He's just like, I don't know. I mean, I know they stayed out and they're trying to pull something, but it really didn't help them any. Yeah, that was rough. It was We'd already been through. I mean, even the start of the race was a little frustrating to me. Um, I don't know what else I expected. But, yeah, this one specifically, it's like they kind of went, seemed like they kind of went three wide a little bit. And it really just hurt Ryan's overall momentum. And, uh, yeah, it was unfortunate. Yeah, the 20 ends up passing him based on it. Uh, so Ryan ends up in sixth at this point. Um, and that's uh, lap 25 is where everything kind of changes for the day. Um, there's some sort of wheel hop in the bus stop. And he gets spun around. And uh, ends up basically in 32nd position coming out of it, uh, flat spots the tires. So this totally changes the the pit strategy, and uh, they have to go ahead and pit uh, at lap 27. Um, so they get tires and fuel. There's really no panic on the radio here because Todd, Todd's talking about this puts us in a good fuel window now. Um, and they're actually back in 36th once they get all this uh, taken care of uh, on that pit stop. Um and what actually ends up happening, unfortunately, TV doesn't give you justice on this. And uh, this is where I wish I had that old um, NASCAR uh, race view that they used to have, because you could see this happening. Um, uh, lap 28, he's 36 on the restart. And uh, Josh tells him to keep the nose on it, which basically is don't bang your way up there, but you know you're going to be able to pass, guys. So uh, lap 29 up to 27th, lap 30 uh, up to 25th, lap 32 up to 23rd, lap 33 up to 22nd, lap 34, he passes the 7, he's up to 21st, lap 35, he passes the 1, he's up to 20th. You know, so there's 16 spots in six laps. You know, and um, that's something that, you know, like I said, the TV coverage doesn't really give you back in the day when they had that uh, race view, you could watch it on there. You could really see it happening and seeing him pass all those cars um, by lap 37. He's 19th and uh, the sixth car is actually kind of holding up three cars. <laughs> the sixth is running in 16th and he's kind of holding everybody up there. But at stage two, the 19 wins the stage and Ryan is 19th. Now, like I said earlier, if, if Ryan stays on the pit strategy he had previous, he's three or four spots behind the 19 and uh you know who knows you know what would happen at that point but uh they're looking for more um drive off and uh, of course todd says staying out so they only have to pit one more time basically between the end of the second stage and the end of the race and uh, that's what like i said they're looking at the pit window and they don't want to lose 10 position 10 uh, to lose track position at this point over six cars uh, pit and then eight cars behind him stayed out. So he definitely staying out was the right move. Um, if he would have pitted, he would have lost all those spots. Um, this brings him up to about 14th uh, position, though. And uh, lap 45, he starts in 14th. Uh, he passes the 10 for 13th. He passes the uh, on lap 48. He gets up to 12th. And at lap 50, the nine passes him. So he's back in 13th now. Um, and and the rate they did concentrate on the nine a lot from this point forward in the race, but the nine really was the one car that was dialed in at this point. His changes that they made, uh, he was just that much faster anyway. Um, at lap 51, he passes the 22 car for 12th, and at lap uh, 55, the 20 spins, uh, trying to pinch the five in turn one, which was kind of interesting. You know, you're running second and uh, 
Yeah, just the the two cars kind of going for the same spot. I know Larson apologized for it. I know those two, they said they're they're kind of friends a little bit and they race a lot outside of NASCAR together. I I mean, to me, I thought Larson was there, had position, and the 20 kind of didn't want to give the spot up. And unfortunately for him, it kind of ruined his his race. So if you're a little bit more patient at that point in the race, which is hard to do. Again, I'm not a driver and I don't know what the pressure is like, but I feel like if you're just a little bit more patient, uh, especially road courses, you see guys pass guys all the time, and then two laps later they pass them back. So I feel like he could have maybe given an inch there uh, just for the greater good, and there's a chance that 20 car could have uh, ended up winning this race. So, uh, But you will never know. gave it away. Yeah, you know, um, 35 laps to go in the race at that point, and everybody had to pit one more time. So... If you stay within a real close shouting distance and 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 put just keep putting pressure on him, making him wear out his stuff, maybe he has to pit a little earlier than you do, or maybe you both pit at the same time and maybe you beat him out of the pits. You know, there's all kind of things that could happen uh, once you put the pressure on. But uh, yeah, a little too aggressive there. Uh, Ryan does get up to 11th with all that going on at uh, lap 57, the two spins and catches the 22 going down into one and and. Uh, that was kind of crazy there because uh, the two was just kind of spinning on his own. looked like he was on ice a couple of times. And uh, this time he caught the 22 up in it, which. Uh, Completely unfortunate. Uh, yeah. And I think Joey was back there for several reasons. Probably the pit stop and some other things. So wrong place at the wrong time. It could have been any car, but just the fact that it ended up being teammates just made it kind of worse. And just the bad day for Brad in general just continued. I know they mentioned he had some sort of braking issues and. Um, I think he even spun more times than they actually show the, they're able to show on television. So not good, not a good run for the two car, especially mm-hmm. after starting on pole. Yeah. Uh, now that the green flag pitting, uh, starts happening about at lap 57 there. And, uh, at that point, Ryan is 11th and, uh, at lap 59, he pits and, um, lap 61, um, he's in 24th, but there are a lot of cars that still need to pit at this point. So, you know, in the uh, laps to follow, six lap 62, he's 19th. The 63, he's up to 17th. 64, he's up to 15th. Lap 66, he's uh, 14th. Lap 67, he's up to 13th. Um, at lap 68, the eight car does pass him and, and puts him in 14th. Um, so there's a pass or two here. In lap 71, he's up to 13th. But at lap 72, the one passes him. He's back in 14th again. <clears throat> At lap 75, that's pretty much where he settles out is in 14th. Uh, this is where uh, Larson and Elliott, uh, you know, the gap kind of gets close, closer and closer in those last 15 laps. Um, a little bit of a lap traffic thing there kind of slows uh, Elliott down. Um, if he had another four or five laps and nobody in front of him, who knows what would have happened there. But, uh, you know, and it was really weird because at this point, Ryan was 14th and there was a three-second buffer either direction three seconds behind the guy in front of him three seconds behind the guy behind him and you know the the length of their laps they're running it, it never really changed much more than a tenth or two tenths so everybody was in the same box at that point the like you mentioned lap traffic and it was rough uh especially for larson i mean i think some of the gap that elliot had closed up was because of the fact that a lot of guys were racing hard um I think at one point, even Keselowski, that was kind of part of the problem was Brad was faster than some of the other lap cars that they were catching. So Brad is kind of out there passing the guys and ended up, you know, 
two and three wide in front of Larson, which slowed him, him up, which let Elliott kind of give chase. But um, then Elliott also had to manage his way through the same lap traffic that, that Kyle was going through. So um, there's lots of drama at the end, just kind of waiting. You see the laps tick down, waiting to see if Chase is able to catch up, plus kind of watching Ryan's position, which they weren't really showing any of that on TV. But you're kind of watching the ticker, just kind of seeing, judging by the times and uh, the gaps there, whether he had a chance to pick up some more spots or not. So um, was a little disappointed when he slipped back a couple of times there. But, um, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, the, well, like I said, um, if he maintains the pit strategy he was on, doesn't spin out, um, he was pretty much behind the uh, the 19 car. And um, the 19 car ended up finishing third. So, I mean, top 10, definitely. Top five, very possibly could have been. Um, but it just goes to show you, I mean, there were not a lot of cautions. Um, you know, so within the race, everybody pretty much got to run there. Uh, fuel window strategy and uh, at the end of the race they all came back together like if there would have been a caution at the end uh, nobody was going to be in any trouble on on fuel so um, the adjustments were the key at that point and like I said uh, the only guy who really dialed it in was Elliot Elliot had a car that could pass everybody in the last 30 laps or so everybody else once they got kind of strung out they were pretty much status quo so you know, Larson does end up holding on winning. Uh, Ryan ends up 14th. Um, and they talk about after race, Todd talks about um, the things they learn, the things that, uh, you know, either way, that they're, they're good and they're bad, and that they'll apply them uh, this week at Indy. So overall, I mean, if you take a look at it's Ryan's road course races have kind of leveled off a little bit. Um, obviously that wind going all the way back to the Roval and he's had some other, you know, impressive top five finishes along the way, but overall his road course average finish is 13.76. And where did he finish? He finishes 14th. So just a little bit above his average finish there. Obviously we want to see more out of Blaney and that, that 12 team, especially with the amount of road courses that are on the schedule these days and heading to Indianapolis this next week to race on the road course there as well. But, Steve, thank you for giving us that recap of Ryan Blaney's race in the Go Bowling at the Glen. Why don't we go ahead now and move, I was going to say move forward, but really you're going to move backward as we take another trip through the history of NASCAR. This week in NASCAR history. Up first this week, we have August 13th, 1950, 21-year-old Fireball Roberts guns his Oldsmobile to victory in the 100-mile NASCAR Grand National event at Okanichi Speedway. In Hillsboro, North Carolina. Hopefully I said that right. If I didn't, tweet me. Let me know. Making him NASCAR's youngest winner. That was 21 years old. Up next, we have August 13th, 1961. Junior Johnson is declared the winner of the shortened Western North Carolina 500 at Asheville-Weaverville Speedway. The race is halted after 258 laps due to a deteriorating track. About 4,000 angry spectators create a mob scene and hold the drivers and team owners hostage in the infield for nearly two hours. Wow, calling the cops, huh? Moving on, we have August 12th, 1973. Dick Brooks posts perhaps the biggest upset win in NASCAR history in the Talladega 500. Brooks is behind the wheel of a Plymouth owned by the Crawford Brothers, a team that has never finished above 16th in a NASCAR Winston Cup Grand National event. Larry Smith, the 1972 Rookie of the Year, loses his life in an early crash. 
Up next, we have August 10th, 1986. The NASCAR Winston Cup Series makes its first visit to Watkins Glen since 1965, and Tim Richmond wins the 219-mile event. Richmond's Chevy beats Darrell Waltrip by 1.45 seconds on the twisting road course. And finally for this week in NASCAR history, August 11th, 1991, Ernie Irvin leads most of the way to win the 218.52-mile race at Watkins Glen, a tragic affair that takes the life of veteran campaigner J.D. McDuffie. The 52-year-old McDuffie dies instantly when he slides off the track and hits a steel-retaining barrier. That's it for this week in NASCAR history. Tune in again next week as we take you on another trip through the history of NASCAR. Ryan Blaney, Weekend Preview, Indianapolis Motor Speedway, Road Course. Okay, Steve, we're headed road course racing for the second week in a row for the NASCAR Cup Series. This time, for the first time, say goodbye to the Brickyard 400. We are going to the Verizon 200, Sunday, August 15th, Indianapolis Motor Speedway, Road Course. You can catch the race at 1 p.m. Eastern Time on NBC and then on radio with the IMS Radio in Sirius XM NASCAR radio, but we also have practice and qualifying this week on the road course at Indianapolis, and it's going to be another week where Steve and uh, sometimes co-host Kate are going out to the racetrack again. Yeah, we're going to make it there for Sunday, at least all the activities Sunday morning and uh, and the race Sunday afternoon. Um, you know, be our first trip to, to the Indianapolis Motor Speedway and. Uh, which is good because we won't be disoriented like other people will be. Uh, this is a uh, road course is a whole different ball game. If you watched last year, they, they did the Xfinity race there. Um, it goes the other direction on the track. And then there's a whole road course that's through the infield areas of the, uh, of the uh, track. And um, they're pitting on the other side of the car, just like they do at Watkins Glen. So, uh, you know, there's what, 14, 14 turns. Um, you know, whole different ball game. So if you're watching on TV and it looks different to you, it is different. And, uh, uh, the Xfinity cars put on a great show there last year. So, uh, really do look for this to be a lot of fun. Um, as the road course goes, uh, there's a couple sharp lefts and, 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 you know, and they actually are up on the track for a good portion of it. So, you know, they use turn, what would be turn two on the track. It's turn 11 for the road course. And then uh, they come back on the track basically at the eight where turn one starts and race their way, like I said, the other direction across that start finish line um, and then make a right hand turn before they get to what would be turn four. So, um, you know, it should be pretty exciting to watch qualifying uh, Sunday morning. We'll tell you a lot about what's going to happen and who's going to start where. And uh, the Xfinity race had a lot of passing last year. So I don't know if we're going to see you know, things get strung out the way they did at the Glen, you know, I think we're going to see, uh, because you've got a lot of guys that are going to be all on the same page too, that have never driven this road course before, you know, Watson's Glen, you had 30 some guys that have done it, you know, 10, five to 10 times before. Um, but, uh, this will be all new and it should be a lot of fun. Yeah. It's going to be different. I know at least off the top of my head, AJ Allmendinger, Chase Briscoe and, um, Austin Sidrick, team Blaney or team uh, Penske teammate there, all ran in the Xfinity race last year, and they are all entered in the Cup race this year. But the majority of the drivers, first time they're going to hit this track is going to be 11:05 a.m. Eastern time, 
um, at Indianapolis for practice on Saturday. Qualifying is going to take place at 9.05 a.m. Um, two rounds of qualifying for that. And it's going to be, I don't know, interesting. I'm not really sure what to expect. The Xfinity race was, I mean, I, a lot of it, when I think back on it, how amazing it was last year, a lot of it was the finish. There was kind of that, I think it was actually maybe the three guys I just mentioned, Almondinger, Sindrick, and Briscoe kind of all uh, running for the lead there at the end of that race that did make it exciting. Sometimes exciting finishes make it for an exciting race overall when you look back on things. Um, but I think with just the unknowns that are out there, the good news is is that we're at this point in the season where they've already raced so many road courses that just going to a road course isn't going to be that big of a deal, and they will have practice and you know hear guys all week talking about it in their interviews saying how much they've spent in simulation too. So I do think some guys like Cindric and Almendinger have a, a little bit of a, a leg up on the field. Briscoe has been running a little bit stronger of late, so... Um, he's another guy that was pretty decent on road courses in the Xfinity series. We just talked about Ryan's stats on road courses a little bit ago. Has a 13.76 average finish on road courses. They're kind of been in this road course mode for the last couple of weeks. So hopefully that, that pays off. Taking a look at Ryan's last several finishes here on road course races in the NASCAR Cup Series. Obviously this past weekend at Watkins Glen, we just ran through that, finished 14th. Prior to that was the race at Road America where he finished 20th. Sonoba, he was 10th. Coda, he was 17th. And out there at Daytona to kick the year off on the road course, he was 15th. So did run a little bit a little bit better in the clash on the road course until uh, Chase kind of took him out there at the end. So um, I'm hoping that he bests his average finish this week. Hopefully, you know, we don't want to definitely don't want to aim for 13th or 14th. I wouldn't get this 12 car back into the top five. Yeah, this is um, this weekend, I think, to one big thing to watch is the restarts um, because of course they're going to come flying down the front stretch on the restart. And basically that right hand, it's a right hand, almost 90 degree turn, turn one and breaking points and who's up underneath who and so on and so forth. They're going to be key. And uh, you know, with a bunch of guys who've never really done it before under pressure, you know, you can practice it all you want by yourself out there and practice and run a qualifying lap with nobody around you. But when you're, too deep and there's six behinds behind you and three guys in front of you and what they do and how you do it and how bunched up you get. Yeah. There's a couple of restarts are going to be very, very key. Uh, hopefully, you know, everything stays in one piece. And I, I, I might've missed it, but when you're talking about um, pit stops being in the opposite direction, they're also running down the front stretch in the opposite direction that they normally would have when they're on the brickyard 400. So just seeing that it will, will startle you a little bit just because the road course runs that, uh, down the front stretch uh, toward what would be turn four uh, for a regular race on the oval. So um, it's a little bit jarring. Do you have any thoughts? I mean, these are non-Ryan related thoughts, but thoughts on whether maybe we need to see the race, whether this race is worthy of still holding up that NASCAR's fourth crown jewel. Uh, if you win this race and should the the winner kiss the bricks, what do you think? I think, uh you're there, you kiss the bricks. I mean, the tradition of the, the track itself. And, um, you know, I know a lot of people were enamored with the Brickyard race, the Brickyard 400. I wasn't. Um, I, I'm going to be a little bit opinionated, but for the most part, the race has got to be pretty boring. Um, they had a lot of issues trying to, trying to run there. Uh, I remember a year where they had to throw a caution every 10 to 15 laps because the tires that uh, they brought weren't, weren't no good. Um, the racing surface is is 
is really made for uh for indy cars you know the indy cars are totally hooked up to the ground they got nothing but downforce on them they can go 230 uh, miles an hour into those corners and lose no momentum going into the next next corner um the the the, the car the nascar cars uh were all about momentum and if you lost the momentum uh, then you, you know, you lost 10 spots, you know, so it, it, you know, it just, it was never really, really good racing. Um, the haves and the have nots separated really quickly. And, uh, yeah, I, I'm kind of glad to see them do something different here. I think it's, uh, it's a change that probably needed to be done. I think the, it's going to intensify the racing for sure. I will miss the oval. I think for me, I'm just I'm kind of in the middle there, like the prestige of winning on the oval at Indianapolis. I think a lot of drivers are going to miss that. I know a lot of the guys that did win the Brickyard 400 were very proud of that victory. So, um, they but they still are going to Indianapolis. They still are racing there. They're just not on the oval. Um, so it's one of those things we're gonna see. I don't I don't know that attendance, I mean you'll find out. I don't necessarily think that this is going to drive attendance figures up. I think this might just draw more interest when it comes to TV viewers, but it's it's tough. Uh but I'm I'm hoping for a really good race. I don't think it's going to be a crown jewel. I do think that they should probably consider uh keeping on with that which it was a NASCAR tradition with going all the way back to Dale Jarrett and Todd Parrott who kissed the bricks uh uh, for the first time when they won the Brickyard 400. I think, like you said, they're at Indianapolis. Go ahead and, and, and keep with the tra- tradition. Dale Jarrett was interviewed earlier this week, and the only thing he said that they should modify is that they should face the opposite direction that he did uh, since they, they're driving the opposite direction when they kiss the brick. So I think that that's a, that's a fun way to look at it. Yeah, that's that's a pretty smart thing. I, you know, this, um, <clears throat> excuse me, Just it was just that the, the, the racing got to be um, – I don't know. There was just something about the racing and the Indy cars it's built for the Indy cars. And I think that's kind of a nice thing about this change is that the Indy cars will be the only ones now that'll run the track, uh, in that manner anymore. And, um, you know, there's just some things that, uh, you know, it just wasn't built for NASCAR, you know, and, and sitting in that place when you're talking about attendance, uh, is an interesting thing too, because road course or just on the oval, you can't sit anywhere where you can see the whole track it's so big, it's so vast, but then there are so many blind spots with the structures and so forth in the middle of the track, the stands, the way they're set up. Um, pretty much no matter where you sat, you could not see the whole track. So, um, a road course is the same thing. I mean, you're not going to see the whole race on a road course. Uh, like, uh, like you said, I don't know what attendance will be, but I don't think attendance was, was that great to begin with in the in the last bunch of years there. So, uh, maybe it'll bring some more interest. So again, if you want to catch this race, I don't think we mentioned it, but the stage breaks are coming at lap 15, 35, and 82, making up the 200 miles of the Verizon 200 this Sunday, August 15th at Indianapolis Motor Speedway Road Course. You can catch the race at 1 p.m. Eastern Time on NBC, on the radio with IMS Radio and Sirius XM NASCAR Radio. And don't forget to try, find a way, I'm sure it's on one that, NBC, MSNBC, Peacock, something like that for a practice that's happening at 11.05 a.m. Eastern Time on Saturday and qualifying that's happening early in the morning, 9.05 a.m. Eastern Time for the Cup Cars. If you've got NBC um, SN on your cable, uh, you should be able to log into it on your phone and it, it's always on the on their app, the NBC Sports Network app. So you should be able to find it. 
So Steve, why don't we go ahead and talk about the Team Blady NASCAR Fantasy Live League this past weekend. This Team Blaney admin team of mine, I haven't checked the standings yet. We'll do that live on the air here, but um, I had a good week, I have to say. And a lot of it just has to do with having tons of heavy hitters still available in my lineup with just, we at the time, four races to go in the season. So just kind of go through my starting lineup for this past weekend's race at Watkins Glen. I had Kyle Larson. I had Martin Truex Jr. I had Chase Elliott. I had Joey Logano. And I had Ryan Blaney. And I had Kyle Busch in the garage. And I had left Kyle in the garage probably should have considered moving him out of there at some point, but didn't think to do it. But where I really paid off for me and was in the bonus picks here, I had Kyle Larson winning the race. I did not pick Chase Elliott to win. Like a lot of people probably did pick Kyle Larson to win the race. I did pick Chase Elliott trying to hedge my bets as a uh, top Chevrolet. He did finish second. Um, Joey Logano. I had him as the top Ford. That didn't work out for me. I had Kyle Busch as a top Toyota that didn't work out. But again, my tried and true method of a majority of this season, Chevrolet as a top manufacturer and Hendrick Motorsports as the winning team. So pulled in multiple bonus points there from those guys. What did your lineup look like heading into uh, the weekend at Watkins Glen? Well, I had, um, I had Brad in the lineup and I had, um, you know, just, I did have Kyle Larson in my lineup. I still had saved him enough to have him in the lineup, um, but I was looking for Joey to win the race. Um, so when it came to bonus picks and bonus points, Joey and the Ford and the Penske being the top team and manufacturer and none of that worked out, of course. So um, that's kind of where I lost a lot of ground on everybody else. Um, but uh, yeah, like you said, we're coming down the last couple of weeks before the se- regular season's up. Uh, so I'm, I'm, I am looking for different people all of a sudden, <laughs> but Hey, you know what? It's the fun of it. You know, I'm uh, not that far out of the, out of the top uh, couple spots. And once the playoffs starts, you know, look out. I think like you kind of said, it's just, we just kind of, our strategies were just in reverse. I kind of was looking for people at the beginning of the season, keeping the heavy hitters uh, in the, in the garage there. And then, so now it's just reversed. Now I have all the heavy hitters left over and you're seeking people. So, as you said, it kind of balances out. Why don't we take a look at the top five in points earned this past weekend at Watkins Glen International for the Team Blaney NASCAR Fantasy Live League. Uh, first in points earned was David Lazaro with 243 points. In second was Span- Sam Speedsters with 233. In third was Rogue Tough with 224. In fourth was my team, Team Blaney Admin, with 223 points. And then in fifth was Blaney Kicks Beep. With 207 points, why don't we go ahead and move on to the overall league standings. And you will notice that, Mez, you fell down a little bit in the standings here because uh, you're showing at Watkins Glen the overall Team Blaney NASCAR Fantasy Live League standings. In first, still holding down the first position, is Clyde's Chicken Pit Racing with 4,542 points. In second is Doug K0525 with 4,414. In third is Moon Cup. In fourth is Blaney Kicks Beep. In fifth is Rogue Tough. In sixth is Glitterbugs. And in seventh is Mez 12. In eighth is Go Larson. In ninth is Vans 12. And in tenth is the Dalai Lama 4 with 4,298 points. And my team bumped up a couple in the standings here in the 21st position. Team Blaney Admin with 4,064 points. Steve, and, you're now, and you're now winning in your household, too. 
that is very exciting news for me, and I didn't actually even know that, so we're going to discuss that tomorrow, I'm sure. Um, so, hey, uh, heading into this week's race at Indianapolis Road Course, is your lineup going to look very similar to it to what it did at Watkins Glen? I think mine might not even change. Maybe uh, I'll take a look at the at the Logano pick there, but um, what are you looking at? Larson and Elliott, are they in your lineup? Do you have enough starts for them? Um, I still have Denny here. Um, I still have a uh, Bowman that I can use. Um, I've got Brad that I can use. I'm thinking about Kurt, Kurt Bush here right now. Um, who else do I got that I can uh, pull up? Oh, you know what? Christopher Bell is actually an interesting yep. one. I, I still have some uses usage for him. I still have one Ryan start left and I'm, I'm, I'm debating on whether or not to just go ahead and start him this week or wait, to, to Michigan or Daytona. Cause, uh, you know, those are good tracks for him too. So, um, besides that, uh, I mean, I'm, let's see. Uh, I mean, I have a, a Tyler Reddick I could probably use at this point too. Um, that probably another guy I'd have to dig down for. Reddick's been solid. Um, I think he's had, he's finished in the top 10, several straight races in a row, maybe one finish here or there where he's not so impressive in that RCR equipment. So, yeah, I think my lineup's going to be sticking up pretty much very, very similar with Larson, Elliott, Truex. I might uh, sub in Christopher Bell for Joey Logano. I think I have enough starts left with Ryan that I could leave him in. Um, still kind of debating that. Sometimes I feel like when I put him in the lineup, it jinxes him a little bit. So <laughs> I haven't totally decided on that yet. So, again, if you uh, are part of the Team Blading NASCAR Fantasy Live League, first, thank you. Uh, for joining the league and participating throughout the year. It's been a lot of fun. And everyone that's up there in the top 10, a lot of you guys have are solid, solid people. At some point, we should probably bring some of these folks on to explain what, what the secret is behind uh, the way they pick. But they are very, very consistent when it comes to their picks. So, um, yeah, thanks, everyone, for, uh, for uh, playing along with us in the league. And thank you, everyone, for tuning in to this episode of the podcast. Um, if you'd like to learn more about myself or Steve, just listen to our very first episode that dives deep into how we both became fans of the Blaney Racing family. If you'd like to interact with us, you can find us on Twitter at Team Blaney and on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Team Blaney. Don't forget to also download, rate, and subscribe to the Team Blaney podcast on the Apple, Google, iHeartRadio, Spotify, all of your favorite podcast apps. And then once again, to close out our show, I want to remind you to check out the Ryan Blaney Family Foundation. This organization established in 2018 supports causes that have closely impacted the Blaney family, including the Alzheimer's Association and UPMC Sports Medicine. You can find out more about the foundation on its website, ryanblaneyfamilyfoundation.org, or on Twitter at rbfamfoundation, and finally on Facebook at facebook.com slash rbfamilyfoundation. For my co-host Steve Mez... I'm Adam Rogers. We'll catch you next time on the Team Blaney Podcast. Good night, Brussels. Brussels.